So how many of you get the blurb from the church every week? Yeah, about half of you, 50%, that's not bad. If you want to be on the church email, just call the office, give them your email, your contact information, and then every week you'll get a notification about what's going on at church, and you'll just be a little more informed. But um, this week, what I wrote about in the, in the blurb was to, I, I wanted to talk about the fact that we are a card-carrying member of Jesus Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 verses 12 to 20 talk about, the fact that the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself actually dwells in us when we put our faith in Christ. But many of us don't live that way or live with the reality of that being true. So I think I talked about like in the middle of the week, I showed up at Pete's and I was there first thing in the morning and I checked in and told him what I wanted. And he said, well, today you get your coffee for free. And I forget I have my Pete's points because I don't get the coffee for free very often, but that day I did. And it just reminded me of when we have an inheritance in Christ and when we are one in Christ and when we share his nature, everything changes. We're a card-carrying member and everything about him becomes true in us. But the question is, how do we live in that reality. So we're going to look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6 and um, chapter, gosh, I'm, I'm a little discombobulated. I'm going to get there. Okay. But I want to open with a story because Paul opens with the story of freedom. And I want to tell you a story about when I graduated from high school and I arrived at UCLA and my mom and Ed just happened to be here today. And I get into Hedrick Hall, and it's at the top of the hill at UCLA, and you're right by the rec center. I don't know if it's still that way. That's a long time ago. And I, I got, we got all our stuff unpacked and got in there, and I laid down on my bed, and your, your roommate's bed is about four feet from you. And I laid in my bed, and I put my feet up, and I looked out the window, and I thought, awesome. I'm totally free. I can't get on restriction. I'm not going to get in trouble because I'm three minutes late. I can stay out with my boyfriend. I can do whatever I want. Right, Mom? And I won't get grounded. I can. I, the freedom is just limitless. And I, it's really weird because when I thought about it, I remember. I remember exactly where I was. And I was the firstborn. And I was always getting in trouble. And I was always coming in 20 minutes late later than my curfew, and I was always pushing the envelope, right? And then my good sister, second, she always did what she was told. But when I got to UCLA and I thought, okay, now mom and dad are not going to be checking on me. I get to do whatever I want. That feeling was amazing, so amazing, but not even probably three or four days later, and I don't know if you remember this, Mom, but my roommate decided to invite her boyfriend to spend the night. And our, our beds were like this far apart. And I just wasn't ever exposed to anything like that, and I wasn't comfortable with anything like that. And that happened the first week, and then the rest of the week I stayed out to like three or four in the morning. Then I got sick. Then I got mono. 
Then I stopped wanting to go to class. Then I, you know how it goes, kind of from there. And that freedom that I had began to show me that I was too immature to use discretion in my freedom. That that freedom wasn't serving me at that point, but it was enslaving me to some habits and consequences that weren't good for me. That's what Paul's talking about, one of the things he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 6. So turn to your outline or get out your Bibles or phones to 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. Here Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. That's the catch. I have the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is a lot, isn't it? This is a lot to internalize. And then he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul says in the first two verses in 12, and kind of goes on in 13 and 14, he says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Right? I was free from my parents' house. And I was a rebel, but not everything in my freedom was beneficial to my well-being. Many of the things that I had learned growing up and been taught served me well, but I had that spirit in me that I just wanted to go beyond that, across the line. And Paul says this, this freedom, and with the Corinthians, These two issues of food and their body were kind of the issues he's confronting. That, you know, Christ gives us freedom, but also Christ speaks life, and he speaks the very best for us, and he has an opinion about these things, and his limitations or guardrails will be helpful for your soul. So he says, whether it's your sexuality, your moral choices, your finances, your attitude, the places you put your feet, what you say, what you do, freedom in Christ has some limitations, it has some guidelines, but ultimately his heart in it is for freedom and life. So 
Kind of the thing that speaks to me a lot about this issue is chocolate chip cookies. I am basically addicted to chocolate chip cookies, you can probably tell. And um, it's kind of a thing I did growing up with, with my mom, we, my sister, my brother. We baked like banshees. And we love chocolate chip cookies. Love. Okay? So when I start mixing up my cookies and then baking them and putting them in the, uh, the freezer... I know that I am going to nip off that cookie. By the way, they're best in the freezer, right, Brent? Freeze them, put them in, you take them out, they're fresh. But I know when that bag's in the freezer, I'm going to just kind of, you know, nip off the bag because I love the cookies. And it's probably not going to be a once-a-day visit. It's going to be, right, hun, several times a day. I just love those cookies. So I know the consequence of the cookies is I'm going to put on a few pounds, and that's the consequence. Whereas if I leave them alone, I'm, I'm going to maybe lose it. I'm going to just stay the same. But I have that offering in there. I have the freedom. I can eat as many as I want. I'm not going to get a spanking. I'm not going to get grounded. But I know if I partake and put them in there, I know myself. It's funny because my daughter married into a family where they have a little nibble for a treat. In our family, no way. It's just, it's sugar. So for me, I know that that bag is going to lend itself to a habit that I can't always afford because I want to fit in my clothes, right? It's not a bad thing. Cookies are great. It's not a good thing. It's a thing about me, right? I have to limit my freedom. Um, Personal freedom affects us and it affects others. It doesn't just affect us, it affects others too. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, a little further, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify or do something beneficial for me or for others. Um, Also in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, he says, let no one seek his own good, but also the good of his neighbor. So he's saying in our freedom, it affects us, but sometimes our freedom and choices of limitation or freedom affects other people. So kind of when we think about our freedom, think about that. Does it, how does it affect me? and in my identity in Christ, and how does it affect other people? So Paul's saying, remember, in this freedom that Christ brings, you have the right, but it's not always beneficial. Okay? So then he goes on in the second point, if you look at the passage, and he says, we are one with him. So when we're a card-carrying member it means that we have taken on the identity of Christ. We are one with him. Now, why do I say that? Look back into the, into the passage. He says, God has not, in verse 14, he says, God has not only raised the Lord, but he's also raised us through his power. So in 15, he said, our bodies are members with Christ, And in 17, he says, the one who joins himself to the Lord is in one spirit with him. 
Do, do you keep hearing this oneness with Christ? And in the message version for 14 and 15, it says, God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. Our spirit is unified with him and his identity becomes our identity. So there's a baseball player in 2002 named Jeremy Brown. And in the middle of one of the games, and I, I think he's a pretty well-known guy. Who knows Jeremy Brown? Anybody? Anybody know baseball? Boy, he was popular. Um, no, but I read this. This is, this is fact. He hit, he hit the ball, and he ran to first, and he kind of stumbled and fell and got up and was standing on the bag. And there he was, standing on first base. And the first baseman reached over to him, and he said, Dude, you hit a home run. Run for home. And he's like, he looks around, and he realizes he's, he hit a home run, and he, and he runs for home. But he thought he'd hit a triple and was just made it to first base, got the runner, you know, in, and that was all, that was all it was for him. But literally, he had hit a home run, but he wasn't running home. And I think with our identity in Christ, we have hit the home run. Our identity, we have to see it like this. Christ died on the cross for our sins. So all our imperfections that made it so impossible to relate to God were crucified on the cross. So they are forgiven once we accept Christ and put our faith in him. But it says our sins died with him, but then he rose again. So we also have that resurrected life like he talks about in the passage. So our life now is a new life. It's a home run life. It's not a triple life. We're not sitting on first. We're going for home. Do you see the difference? Many of us live like we're just going to, we hit a triple and we're just going to park it on first base. And we're missing out on the home run because we don't embrace our identity Paul says, we're one with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And some of you are going, what the heck are you talking about? Let me try to explain it differently. It's kind of like when I walk a lot in the morning at 6 a.m. because of the cookies. And um, (laughs) when I wake up, it's dark. So when I get out there, I see the sunset, and it's beautiful. It's right towards your house, towards the branch. And I look out. And it's beautiful. But when I put on my sunglasses, they have this filter on it. It's like it comes alive in color. You know that thing in your sunglasses that do that? That's kind of how it is with our identity in Christ. We may read it, that we've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised again with Christ. We have a new identity. We have the resurrected life. We are one in Christ. We are one in the spirit. But we have not absorbed it or put on the glasses. It's kind of like, that's for those church people. Or I don't know what he's talking about in the Bible, but that's not me. That is you. That is totally you if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I remember the time it happened for me. I I placed my faith in Jesus when I was eight years old, but I didn't absorb the identity 
until I was in college. And I've told you about it before, but we were studying 1 Peter in college. And 1 Peter talks about the fact that we are his royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are sprinkled with his blood. We are aliens here on earth. Our real home is heaven. We are chosen. We are beloved. And let me tell you something. I was like this dry sponge. And this clown started telling me this stuff out of 1 Peter. And I, for the first time, just started soaking it up. Soaking it up. When you soak up the identity of Jesus Christ and who he is and who you are when you place your faith in him, you are not the same person. This sponge is has captured water and it's changed the texture. This one hasn't. But when you soak up the reality of who you are in Christ, it changes everything. It gives you the glasses to see different. It's the, it's the living power of Jesus Christ himself in you, in your blood. Your, your blood is transformed. Your mind is transformed. It's, it's a whole new way of life, a whole new way of thinking. Your sins are forgiven. When, when you've heard people say repent and believe, it's like this is what you, you did believe. I don't know which way to turn. There's so many people everywhere. But this is what you did believe. And then when you believe what Jesus says is true of you, the repent means you turn and you walk a different way. That's what, Jesus, that's what Paul's trying to say here when he says you are one with Christ. Your bodies are member with Christ. You're joined with him in one spirit. Romans 6, 4 says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. The newness of life. There's something different about the life in Christ. It's different than here. So then he goes on to say in the passage that This is true. He talks about 14, 15, and I think 17. And he says your body, your body and your sex life is another area that Jesus has something to say about. Something that's different than this life. It's this life. And you're probably not going to get it if if you're not one with Christ because it's totally different. And the Corinthians didn't get it. Their big issues, one of their big issues was their body and sex and promiscuity. They just, they went off that whole Corinthian culture. And what does Paul say here? And let's look at the passage and just see what he says. He says, don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one body? For the two says he will become one flesh, verse 16. And then in the last verse, Paul alludes to Genesis 2.24 where he says, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and will join his wife and they will become one flesh. 
And then Paul goes, like I said, to Genesis to show that sexual union is neither casual nor fleeting, but God designed it in the covenant of marriage. The, the uniting of the flesh brings a unity of personhood where the two become one, not just for the moment, but for life. One author said it's a pathway to oneness. So without the covenant of marriage, it's confusing because God designed that pathway of oneness to be between a man and a woman in marriage. And without that covenant of marriage, it leaves the soul sort of undone, untethered. One author talked about it like fire. Fire is amazing. Fire keeps us warm. Fire's lit and it burns. And in the context of a confined space or railways, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But if it gets taken out of the, the railings, it can cause damage. My, um, my sister and brother-in-law had, um, have this outdoor fire pit, and it, it's been a, just a special place of bonding, sharing memories, smoking cigars, sharing life. It's just been a, a wonderful place in their home. And one day the ashes were taken from the fire pit into the garage in a, in a um, brown bag. And those ashes sparked a fire that burned down their house. And I thought, isn't that kind of a picture of when the fire is used in the proper way that God designed it, it's beautiful. It brings beauty. But when it's outside the railings of what God designed, it brings chaos. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's, he's, he's saying your body is part of your spiritual life. And your body matters, whether you're single or married, divorced, young, old. Your body, Paul's saying your body matters. Your sexuality matters. God created it with a design for intimacy in a covenant. And when that isn't acknowledged, it creates an unrest and puts us in a place that is going to cause us harm. And that's what Paul is talking about. Now, this is so different than our culture. We want immediate gratification. Um, we want to get our needs met. We want to be independent and make those kind of choices for ourselves. And you can. Remember, you go back to the freedom we have. We make our own decisions. And I'm not speaking out of this to create any shame or our, talk about our past or anything. I'm talking about writing a story for our future, of a story that includes our body with our spiritual life, just like our freedom is with our spiritual life, just like our oneness with Christ matters that we know that in our spiritual life. Um, 
So Paul says, why do we attach our body to something that's not in the context of the covenant that I designed where man and woman become one flesh? So he says, one author also said, don't respond to the darkness of our own desire, respond to the Father. Don't react to the darkness of our own desire, respond to the Father. And I love that because whether it's our bodies or our what we eat, you know, chocolate chip cookies, our words, our attitude, whatever it is, our gut response of what we want to do is different than the life Christ has for us and the guidelines and rail, uh, railings that he set up. But again, it requires faith because it's not always easy. We have to listen to his voice. We have to stay one with him, join one with him and allow the spirit to reign in us because it's different. It's a different kind of life. Um, I remember a couple years ago, um, I had a friend send me on this research trip with a company to do some work for them, some consulting. And they, they sent me in first class. And I, I don't know if I'd ever ridden first class before, um, but I'd never been in a Sky Lounge, the American Airlines Sky Lounge. Let me tell you, so we, we got, I got to the air, you know, port and hadn't, hadn't got to my seat yet. That was a whole nother thing. But I got to the airport and, and she said, oh, you know, you have the Sky Lounge pass. And I'm like, what's that? I go in the Sky Lounge and let, it was like bananas. It was awesome. It was food and drinks and sitting there with our feet up and reading our books you know, none of these people coughing all over you and sitting on the floor to plug in my cell phone and everything. I was living the big life, right? And I couldn't believe how great it was. I was like, how can I live my whole life and never go to a sky lounge? But it was awesome. And then, you know, I went on that trip and then I went in the airport, in the airplane. It was like, I went to the top of it because it was an international flight and, you know, oh, you're your seat's up there, you know, and went up there and sat in my seat. And it was phenomenal. And it was like a life that I do not know. I am perfectly happy with my airplane life. And I even, you know, it's like Southwest. You know, Heather tells me when to check in and it's like 42 days before. And then you get to the airport 42 hours before and you try to get in a number and you stand there and you kind of hurt each other. And if you get a one section, you're really good. That's kind of what God's talking about with his ways versus our ways. He wants us to hit the home run and run home. He wants us to live in the Sky Lounge and to enjoy his very best. But a lot of us are just rummaging around going, I'm just going to fly this and I'm going to do it this way, and I don't even know what's out there, and I don't care. But he's saying by faith, as we take steps to listen to his voice and to live in rhythm with him, in oneness with him, we're going to be experiencing things we don't even know of. Things like the Sky Lounge. We've never even seen that before. But that's the way of Jesus. So lastly... 
Um, so he talks about our body. And then lastly, he says that we carry his presence. He says in verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So identity is the engine that drives the relationship not only with ourselves, but also with God and others. What do you believe about your identity? Do you believe that you've been raised with Christ? Like, can you even fathom the fact that your life has been raised with Christ? Do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? Or do you sit in regret and shame of what your life has held in the past, in remorse? Do you believe that you are sprinkled with his blood and made clean because of his forgiveness? Even in some of the areas we've talked about today, what you have lived, now you have the opportunity to repent and live differently. Do you understand that, the pres- that you carry the presence of God, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that crazy? You're walking around in a body that carries the presence and power of God. What a privilege, you guys, to be a temple of the living God. That's the opportunity we have as believers is to step into what God's called us to and to live as a temple of the Holy Spirit here on earth, bringing the kingdom of God to this earth and to those around us, to each other. Ephesians 3.19 says that we're filled with all the fullness of God. Some of the fullness of God? No, all. All the fullness of God has been bestowed upon you. All of it. Ephesians 2, 4, and 7 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you're saved, not by being a perfect person, not by getting all this perfectly right, but because Jesus died for you and his grace is sufficient for you. And God raises up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The kindness I hope and I prayed before that I'd never come in condemnation about this, about this subject or about my heart or Jesus' heart and representing Jesus' heart in this, but that you would know the love of Christ. And Jesus says in John, my words are spoken so that you will live free, free indeed. That his heart for this stuff, this crazy stuff that we just go, what in the heck? Is he talking about, why do I have to do it this way? He says it for freedom, not for condemnation or 
shame, but for freedom because he loves you and he loves me. And Paul's saying, don't separate stuff out of your spiritual life. Your sex, your body, your food, everything's connected. Second Corinthians 3.17, just a couple chapters or after, say, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I just want to share with you... Um, for some of us, this might be an issue, the, the whole idea of bringing our body into the oneness of Christ. For some of us, it might be food. It might be an attitude you have. But my challenge is, can we separate, can we consider not separating certain areas of our life from our oneness with Jesus Christ? Because it matters. Paul says it matters. We are one with Christ. Kind of a more uh, recent thing for me where I look at it like, or where I fight it, where, you know, this doesn't matter, God. This is this just kind of, this is just different. And that might be what you're saying about your sexuality or your, your you know, whatever area that God's kind of going, ding, ding, you know, think about it. For mine, um, you know, recently Todd has been sick. And he has been sick for about three years now, on and off. Pretty severe health challenges. And this time when he had his heart attack, I, it was like the last, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like I was a good soldier, I think, for the last two years. But this time when he had his heart attack, I was like, you know what, God? I am sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of that. I'm sick and tired of going to the doctor. I'm sick and tired of him going to the doctor. I'm sick and tired of him not feeling good. I'm sick and tired of how challenging it is. And I'm sick and I'm tired. And it's not even me. But that attitude is just like, just gutting it out, you know? Like, I am so over this. And Jesus was saying to me, bring it. This is part of your spiritual life, too. This is your attitude. You're, you're like the Israelites, just grumbling in the wilderness, like, ah, I'm sick and tired. I want that. I want that. Sick of this. And I heard this talk in Hebrews chapter 3 in Psalm 95 that says, those who grumble do not enter the rest of the Lord. Those who walk in faith enter the rest of the Lord, and the rest of the Lord is his peace. And I thought, okay, I got Christine Kane telling me this. She's this screaming preacher that I love. And I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to bring this area of my life in this oneness with Christ I have. And so when I get up in the morning, I just... I, I kind of, you know, throw my temper tantrum, and then I just say to the Lord, like, I want to grumble, I'm really sad, and I'm so sad, Todd, when you have a hard day where you feel really bad, but God, you say that when I walk by faith, I will enter your rest, and the peace of God will come, so I have my temper tantrum, I 
and moan as long as I can. And then I just sit before Jesus and I say, I'm going to have faith in you, God, that whatever you're doing right now and wherever you're taking us, whatever's going on, I'm going to believe what I don't see yet, but I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to be one with you and I'm going to believe you and I'm going to walk by faith. I am living a resurrected life. I'm living a different life than what I see or what I know, but you have died and rose again for me and you are calling me to a life that is not one I always understand, but I want to walk by faith and enter your rest and peace. And little by little, every day, the peace comes. The rest comes. I don't know how. I can't always quantify it or not quantify it. But as I walk by faith, the re- I enter the rest of the Lord. Maybe in an hour, I have to go back to walk by faith. I cry. I yell and scream. It's not a pretty process. I don't do it like, I am just going to walk by faith. It's not like that. It's like, this sucks. I hate it. I don't believe it, God. I don't know if you're going to do it. When are you going to heal him? It's like that. And then he just comes. He just comes. And the rest is so good. And the peace is so good. And it's not anything I would have, I can make up. It's nothing I can do. It's only something that he gives that's the supernatural. It's the resurrected life. It's the spiritual things that Christ does in the supernatural that we don't even fathom can happen. And just like our sexual life, you may, not, you may wonder, how in the heck can I ever see these railings and live by them? Walk by faith, not by sight, and watch him show up. C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Too weak, right? Like, I can't do this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Many of us want to make a mud pie pie in a slum rather than take the invitation to a holiday at the sea. And Jesus in 1 Corinthians 6, actually Paul, is saying, you have all the freedom in the world, guys. You have free will. You have all the freedom in, your, in the world. But the life that Jesus has for us is the holiday at the sea. 
and let's forget the mud pies. Let's forget just dinking around, making our mud. Oh, that's so fun. We don't even know what's out there. And he's saying, trust me, walk by faith because the things that I'm about and the words that I speak are life. And that life is beyond anything man could offer. So let's pray. I'm going to just be so bold as to ask you, if you want to step away from your mud pies, will you stand? Don't look at each other. This is nobody's business but our own. But if you know you are just slapping around in the mud with one thing or another, for me, it's grumbling. For you, it might be something else. It might be your body. It might be your attitude. But it's just something you got to walk away from. Because Paul says, right, we are one in Christ. Our body has been raised with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and our life has been made new. Our life is different than this world. The spirit of God wants to do something different in us and he wants to take us to the sea. He wants to take us to the words of Jesus that mean life, that take our souls and lead us into pathways of life rather than death. He said, my words bring life. So whatever it is you're standing about, I commend you. Let's take this little step together of faith saying, Jesus, I believe you that you are life that your words bring life, that I don't know what's best for me, but you do. And I want to live the resurrected life rather than the worldly life. And in our freedom, God, we choose you and we are thankful for you. We thank you so much that you've died for our sin and that when we have faith in you, we have a new life. We have a resurrected life. And God, I pray among our people that we would step up and step into this life that you offer, that we would own our identity, that we would be card-carrying members, full-fledged, God, living it big because you are big. And we wouldn't be slapping around with our mud pies, but we would be looking for your greatness, God. Your greatness in us and through us and for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, we stand together and we commit our lives to you. We screw up so much but you forgive us and you give us more and you carry us when we can't carry ourselves and we're
we're so thankful. And we love living one with you, God. There's no better place to be. Thank you.